19th of April 1999, Northcote, just northeast of Melbourne. At around 9am, neighbours hear the screams of a woman coming from the house of 28-year-old psychotherapist Nicole Amanda Patterson. Thinking it's just a domestic dispute, they decide to ignore the screams as it's soon quiet. Later that night, Nicole's mutilated body would be found by a friend that had turned up for a dinner date. This is the twisted story of serial killer Peter Depass. Hi, I'm your host Cambo, and this is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. Now I will warn listeners that this episode will contain descriptions of criminal acts and a few WTF moments. Okay, so let me just go over the intro again. Nine in the morning, and next door hears screams coming from a woman that then goes silent. Probably some bloke beating her up. Just a domestic. Nothing to see here, hey? I know this is early in my podcast, but for fuck's sake, they could have at least checked she was okay. So later that day, her boyfriend tried to call her, but there was no answer. Later that night, her friend turned up for a dinner date and found music playing and the front door open. Upon entry, the friend saw the body of Nicole slumped on the floor. Originally, this was called in as a suicide. Police were called and they found that rather than a suicide, she had suffered 27 stab wounds to her chest and back, she was naked from the waist down, her skirt would be found in a nearby room, and her undies were down around her ankles. Both breasts had been removed, and small pieces of yellow PVC electrical tape was found on her body. There was also a strange wound inflicted on her thigh. Her handbag and driver's licence were missing, and police would never recover her breasts or the murder weapon. Now, Nicole was qualified as a psychotherapist, and had been working for the Ardoc Youth Foundation as a youth counsellor. She decided to cut back on her hours there and open her own private practice in her Harper Street home at Northcote. She placed ads in the local papers in order to expand her client base. When police searched for clues to what had happened, they found her personal diary with a a 9am appointment in the name of a Malcolm and a mobile phone number next to it. As police learned that the next doors had heard a woman screaming at about this time, they tracked the number to an Indian uni student called Harry. They quickly located Harry and found not only did he have an alibi, but he had previously been approached by a guy called Peter Dupass offering labouring work. Three days later, on the 22nd of April at lunchtime, they tracked Dupass down to the Excelsior Hotel in Thomastown and took him for questioning. While he was being interviewed, they searched his home and they were able to find evidence that would link him to the crime. But I will go into more detail about that a bit later. By nightfall, police would charge him with murder. So let's find out a little bit more about Peter Dupass before we go any further. 
He was born 6th of July 1953 in Sydney, New South Wales, the youngest of three children, with his older siblings being a lot older than him, and such, he was pretty much treated as an only child. He would leave school in fifth form, or year 11 as it's now known, but would later complete his high school certificate while in custody. He started an apprenticeship as a fitter and turner at General Electric, and while doing this, he applied to become a police officer, but was rejected for being one centimetre too short. It was the 3rd of October 1968. The pass was 15 years old and still at school. He went to visit the lady next door, and while he was there, he asked her for a knife to peel some veggies. But rather than cut up some spuds, he proceeded to stab her in the stomach, face, neck and hands. As she valiantly tried to fend off the attack, she fell to the ground and onto her back. Depass sat on her and said, It's too late. I can't stop now. They'll lock me up. As his neighbour still resisted the attack, Depass eventually took off, but police were called and they apprehended him shortly after. He told police that he could not help himself in attacking the woman next door. He would eventually be placed on 18 months probation and admitted to the Lorendell Psychiatric Hospital for evaluation. Dupas was released after two weeks as an outpatient. I don't know about you, but I think when you stab people in the face and neck, you probably need some time in the slammer, even if you are only 15 years old. But let's move on. It gets better. If better means more fucked up. In October 1969, the Austin Hospital mortuary is broken into and two elderly female corpses are mutilated using a pathologist's knife. Curiously, a part of one of the woman's thigh would be cut out. Police would never find out who perpetrated the break-in but would eventually, 30 years later, see the same wound on Nicole Patterson's body. But let's keep going on about the pass before we get back to Nicole. In March 1972, Pass was busted perving on a woman in the shower. Her husband saw him looking in the bathroom window and chased him down, catching him. He would also be reported to police for driving alongside a car perving at the driver's 12-year-old daughter. On the 5th of November 1973, aged 20, De would be interviewed by police at Nunawading Police Station in regards to the rape of a woman three weeks earlier. In this case, he knocked on the woman's door asking for a screwdriver because his car had broken down. As she went to look for a screwdriver, De attacked her threatening her and her 18-month-old baby with a knife before raping her. Police would find that he had tried this twice in the weeks before but had not succeeded in raping the women, but had merely stolen some cash from one and run off from the second when she told him her husband was on the way home. Senior Detective Ian Armstrong would describe Dupas as weak and compliant when confronted with authority. He would go on to say, He stood out, 
To me, the guy was just pure evil. His attacks were all carefully planned, and he showed no remorse. We could see where he was going. I remember thinking, this guy could go all the way. He was an evil, cold, baby-faced liar. He is a very dangerous young person who will continue to offend where females are concerned and will possibly cause the death of one of his victims if he is not straightened out. But of course, as we see time and time again, scum like De Pass will escalate the violence during their criminal career. During interrogation by detectives, he would sit and deny everything, and when they thought he was getting frustrated and they thought he was about to break, he would compose himself again and they would get nothing from him. They found that he would work everything out before his attacks down to the smallest detail. He would remain cool and calm at all times, even when he was arrested. So he was charged with rape over the November 5 incident, but was released on bail. He was remanded to Mont Park Psychiatric Hospital, where he was able to come and go whenever he liked. While he was awaiting his court date, he was busted perving on girls at the Rosebud Beach toilet block. When the cops got hold of him, they charged him with loitering with intent and admitted him as a voluntary patient back at Mont Park, where he stayed between January the 8th and February the 22nd, 1974. By the way, they also fined him 140 bucks for the Rosebud Beach incident. At Mont Park, the psychiatrists could not really find anything wrong with him, but they didn't exclude problems in his personality arising at a future date. So on to the rape trial. He would be found guilty and Judge Leckie said, You raped a young married woman who was previously unknown to you in her own home and on her own bed. You invaded the sanctity of her home by a false story about your car breaking down. You threatened her with a knife. You tied her up with a cord. You struck her when she tried to resist. And worst of all, you threatened to harm her baby when she tried to resist. Whilst accepting that you are psychologically disturbed, I believe you are fully responsible for your actions. Judge Leckie is sentenced to pass to nine years jail with a non-parole period of five years. He would be released on September the 4th, 1979, after serving five years and nine months. Two months later, he would attack four women in ten days. This time he would use a knife and wear a black balaclava. The first victim was raped in a public toilet in Frankston. The next three would escape being raped by screaming, but the last one Depass stabbed in the chest before fleeing. When police caught up with Depass, he readily confessed, saying he was glad to be caught and confessing that he attacked the woman because he, quote, gets the urge. He went on to say, It just comes over me. I can't help myself. I've had this problem for about six years. It all started again about a year ago. I don't know if it was because me girlfriend left me or what it is. I just find it hard to mix with people and I haven't many friends. I just don't know what to say. DePass was charged with rape, three counts of assault with intent to rape, malicious wounding, indecent assault and assault with intent to rob. 
he would be found guilty on all counts, and the judge, Judge Leo Lazarus, would sentence him to only six and a half years with a non-parole period of five years. I'm holding back a WTF moment right now. So for his first rape conviction, he gets nine years with a non-parole of five years, gets out after serving five years and nine months, and two months after getting out, he attacks four women in ten days, raping one and stabbing another, but Judge Leo Lazarus decides this guy should only get six and a half years with five years non-parole. You wonder if Leo was sleeping during the proceedings or just couldn't give a shit. So he serves five years and three months and is released on parole. Guess what he does? Just four days out of prison. He goes to Blair Gowrie Back Beach on the Mornington Peninsula south of Melbourne and rapes a 21-year-old girl sunbathing. After the attack, she was able to get help from a couple of guys who were then able to catch the pass as he'd forgotten where he'd parked his car. What a knob! He told police that he just couldn't help himself when he saw the girl, said he was sorry, and then told the police that the psychiatrist had told him he was alright now, so he didn't think he would offend again. So here he is trying to put the blame on others for his own actions. He would be convicted of rape and sentenced to 12 years imprisonment. How about this though? 16 days before he raped that girl and 12 days before his official release on parole, another sunbather, Helen McMahon, had been brutally murdered at a rye beach only 4 kilometres away. Police questioned him about this, but he denied he knew anything about it, and as it was before he was released, they ceased questioning him about it. The murder of Helen McMahon would go cold, and is still officially unsolved, but investigators would later find out that Dupas was actually on pre-release leave at the time of her murder, and Dupas was staying in the Rye area at the time. Helen was sunbathing topless at the beach when she was attacked and bashed to death, left there with a beach towel draped over her body. Police believe this may have been Depass's first murder victim. There are a couple more murders he's suspected of, but I'll tell you about those a little bit later on. So with the 12-year sentence for rape, he would be freed after about seven years. Then less than two years later, he would be arrested on charges of false imprisonment after an incident at Lake Epilock, about 140 kilometres north of Melbourne. Here, wearing a hoodie and balaclava, he followed a woman into the toilet block. When she dropped a dax in the cubicle, he rushed in and threatened her with a knife and told her to turn around. She resisted and suffered a cut to her hand. Depass grabbed her arm and led her out of the dunnies where she was able to break free. She ran for assistance as Depass took off in his car. A couple of male friends followed him in their car and they were able to catch and detain Dupas. Police would find electrical tape and handcuffs in his pocket. Here he would be, convicted and sentenced to three years and nine months with a non-parole of two years and nine months. Well, 
He was let out in September 1996. And so, now we come back to the murder of Nicole Patterson on the 19th of April 1999. Investigators found that DePass was pretty much stalking Nicole weeks before he murdered her, as he had called her several times from a public phone to talk with her, but would not actually book an appointment. Finally, after seeing that she was working home alone, he called up using the name Malcolm and he gave a false number to her. The number of the Indian student I told you about earlier. So he sees that she's very vulnerable and this is when he decides to go ahead with his plan to attack her. It would be found that DePass was able to present himself as quite inoffensive and this would place his victims off guard when he did attack them. So on the morning of the 19th of April, DePass went to Nicole's address for the appointment he made under the false name of Malcolm. Nicole made coffee that would be untouched, so it's safe to assume that shortly after he arrived that he attacked Nicole with a knife, stabbing her 27 times. He then cut off her breasts, which would never be found. He quickly cleaned up any evidence which might convict him and took her handbag, her driver's licence and her breasts as trophies. He then returned home and resumed his normal day-to-day activities as if nothing had happened. Investigators would find the two big mistakes to pass made were that he gave Nicole the mobile number of the Indian student that he had met previously and when police tracked him down the student was able to tell police he had recently given out his number to Peter DePass. The second big mistake was that he did not see Nicole's diary that had a reference to that number written in it, which would ultimately lead back to DePass. The diary would be found under some items on the couch. This is what gave police enough cause to suspect DePass had involvement in the murder, and so they brought him in for questioning. After a search of his home was conducted, investigators turned up important evidence that would lead to his conviction. They found the same yellow PVC electrical tape wrapped around the garden hose in the front yard. In his kitchen, they found a piece of paper ripped up and thrown in the bin. When they put all the pieces back together, it had Nicole's details, the appointment time and location, plus the name Malcolm, that corresponded to the details they found in Nicole's diary. They also found bloodied shoes at the bottom of the bin. They also found a murder kit, consisting of gaffer tape, gloves, condoms and a balaclava. Police would also find a jacket that appeared to have blood on it. A newspaper would also be found that had the story regarding Nicole Patterson's murder. A photo of Nicole featured in the story and had been cut through with a knife. He wasn't able to provide an alibi that could be backed up by anyone else, but regardless, he would plead not guilty. He would be convicted of murder and on 27th of August 2000, he was sentenced to life imprisonment with no minimum period. In sentencing, the judge would say, When regard is had to the seriousness of the crime which you committed and the other sentencing considerations to which I have averted, 
including your high level of culpability, the nature of the offence which you committed, the need to protect the community from the risk that you will continue to present for the foreseeable future, the total lack of remorse and the absence of any significant prospect of rehabilitation, only one course can sensibly be seen to remain. You must, as a consequence of the commission of the terrible crime that has brought you before this court, be removed permanently from the society upon whose female members you have preyed for over 30 years. I do not consider that it would be appropriate to fix a minimum term in your case. The sentence of the court is that you be imprisoned for the rest of your natural life and without the opportunity for release on parole. Okay, so he's put away for life, never to be released. Later Nicole's mum would be interviewed and describe Nicole growing up as a bit of a rogue and a rascal and that she loved life and loved people. She'd finally found herself the direction she wanted to go in life. She always wanted to help others with their problems, housing, clothing and food and this is why she had cut down her days at the youth centre and had started up her own practice. So DePass is now put away for life but this isn't the end of the story. While in prison, police would start looking into some cold cases that they thought DePass may have had some involvement with. They would find that there were some unsolved murders that he may have committed. Two of these he would ultimately be convicted of. October the 4th, 1997, the murder of Margaret Josephine Mayer, and on November the 1st, 1997, Messina Halvagas was murdered, her body discovered the next day. Margaret Mayer was a 47-year-old part-time sex worker. She would often be seen hanging around shops where she lived in Campbellfield, Melbourne. She was known as pretty harmless and was well-liked by the community. Despite coming from a good, well-off family, she'd ended up hanging around the wrong crowd, which led to a drug addiction and hence why she needed to take on sex work to make ends meet. Margaret's body would be found at Somerton under a pile of boxes that had been left out for waste collection. A couple walking along the road looking for aluminium cans to raise money for charity discovered her body and called police. Police found that Margaret had been hit with a brick to the side of the head, strangled, mutilated and one of her breasts had been cut off and placed in her mouth. The investigation stalled and went cold until police started to investigate the now incarcerated to pass further. It was the cutting off of Margaret's breast that would link the past to this cold case, as it was an extremely rare occurrence. In fact, out of 10,000 crimes in a database search, the only other crime that came up with the cutting off of the breast was Dupass's murder of Nicole Patterson. Re-examination of the cold case evidence led to detectives being able to find Dupass's DNA on one of Margaret's gloves that was found next to her body. So on August the 16th, 2004, Dupass was convicted of the murder of Mayer and sentenced to a second term of life imprisonment, with the judge saying, In view of your appalling criminal history 
and in view of the particularly serious nature of the crime for which you have been convicted, it is only appropriate that you be sentenced to life imprisonment. There is no prospect for your rehabilitation. It is clear, both in the present case and from your previous convictions for rape and like offences, that your offending is connected with a need by you to vindicate a perverted and sadistic hatred of women and a contempt for them and their right to live. But again, that's not the end of this story. Police are convinced that these two brutal murders were not the only ones to pass had committed. Further searching of cold cases would uncover another chilling murder. The November 1st, 1997 murder of 25-year-old Messina Halvagas, who lived at home with her parents and was employed by a bank. She'd been visiting Faulkner Cemetery to place flowers on the grave of her grandmother. She would be attacked from behind and stabbed more than 80 times. As this was a random attack, it was extremely difficult for police to find the culprit. They had reports from other women about a guy that seemed to be stalking them on the day of Messina's murder and one lady was able to provide police with a description which they were able to create a sketch from but the trail went cold. Her family didn't give up and eventually they were able to lobby for a reward of $1 million for information leading to the conviction of her killer. This is when, seven years after her murder, disgraced former underworld lawyer Andrew Fraser came forward to police with information. At the time, he was doing a stretch for drug trafficking and had been housed at the same prison as Dupas. As he knew Dupas was dangerous, he tried to befriend him as a self-preservation measure. Fraser told investigators that he had been walking around the prison yard with Depass one day when another prisoner approached them and accused Depass of killing his cousin Messina. As they walked away, Depass remarked to Fraser, How does that fuckwit know what I've done? On another day while digging in a garden, Fraser dug up a shiv, which is a knife the prisoners fashion from whatever materials they can find. Depass picked up the shiv and as he held it in his hand he said, Messina. Later, Fraser and DePass were arguing about the DNA evidence that police had found on Margaret Mayer's glove, even though DePass had told Fraser he didn't leave any DNA evidence at that scene. As the discussion progressed to Messina's murder, DePass told Fraser that he didn't leave DNA at that scene. Later, while sitting in a cell together watching the news on TV, Messina's dad came on with his plea for more information about his daughter's killer. Fraser told police this visibly upset DePass, who turned off the TV and then stood up and mimed the action of stabbing someone in what turned out to be the way Messina was stabbed. This, of course, would only be known by the police and the murderer. Police were now able to proceed with murder charges on DuPass for Messina's murder, but Fraser wanted to be released from prison before he would testify. Police filed a petition for mercy to release Fraser, and a year later he was freed, and on the 11th of September 2006, police charged DuPass with the murder 
of Messina Helvagus. At the coroner's inquest, they were able to find the following circumstantial evidence. Nine witnesses identified to pass as the man they saw at Faulkner Cemetery on the day Halvagas was attacked. DePass's grandfather's gravesite is located 128 metres from the crime scene. DePass frequented the first and last hotel located opposite Faulkner Cemetery. DePass lied to police about a facial injury received about the time of the attack on Halvagas. DePass attempted to alter his appearance after Halvagas's murder and DePass was identified by a woman from police photographs who said she saw him minutes before the attack 20 metres from where Halvagas' murder occurred. Now, without going into all the legal technicalities, the murder charge was withdrawn by the Director of Public Prosecutions in the Melbourne Magistrates Court and instead proceeded directly to the Supreme Court of Victoria, bypassing the usual committal hearing. The trial would last for three weeks, in which witnesses would testify that they saw DePass at the cemetery at the time of Messina's murder. Fraser would testify in regards to the discussions he had with DePass about Messina's murder in prison. On August the 9th, 2007, DePass was convicted of the murder of Messina Halvagas. DePass would now be sentenced to life imprisonment for the third time. Hey, but that's not all. There are currently three more murders the police suspect DePass to have committed. There is the murder of Helen McMahon that I told you about before. She was killed on the beach while sunbathing 16 days before he raped a 21-year-old woman at a beach not far away from the murder scene. There is also the brazen daytime murder of 31-year-old Renita Brunton, who was stabbed 106 times in Sunbury in 1993. She was found in a shop that sold pre-loved clothes and police suspect DePass to be her killer. There is also the killer of 95-year-old Kathleen Downs at the Brunswick Lodge Nursing Home in Brunswick at 6.30am on the 31st of December 1997. According to the coroner's report, at 3am one of the residents noticed her door slowly opening. She let out a yelp and the door slowly closed. About five minutes later, she heard Venetian blinds on the fire exit rattling. At 6.15am, the newspaper delivery person attended the lodge and noticed the door was ajar, which was unusual. So they left the newspapers between the door and the door frame. At 6.20am, a staff member arrived for work and noticed the newspaper in a different position than normal. She entered the building and noticed the Venetian blinds at the end of the corridor hanging loosely. She then noticed Kathleen Down's door ajar and pushed it open to check if everything was fine. She would be shocked at seeing Kathleen lying on the ground in a pool of blood. An autopsy would reveal three stab wounds to the right side of the neck and a deep laceration across the throat. The case went cold, but Andrew Fraser 
who gave evidence against DePass in Messina's murder trial, told police that DePass had mentioned Kathleen's murder to him while in prison. He allegedly told Fraser, in reference to Kathleen's murder, that they will never get me for that. Fraser also told police DePass mentioned the other old Sheila down the road while discussing the Messina Halvagas murder at Faulkner Cemetery. So, true crime islanders, we're nearly at the end of the shocking tale of Peter DePass. Convicted rapist and murderer, one of the most evil of all serial killers in Australian history. When you have a close look at his rap sheet, you see that he's able to commit the most brutal of crimes, get sentenced, become a model prisoner and be let out on parole. He then goes straight back to his evil ways until he's caught again. He served four lengthy prison terms for acts of violence against women before he was finally charged with murder. Once he was convicted, police were then able to see that he had committed two more murders and he's suspected as the perp in another three. Couldn't anyone see that this guy was a psychopath and that it was just a matter of time before he would kill for fuck's sake? Well, he's locked up now for good, joining the list of killers that are marked as never to be released. And as the mother of one of his victims said, I hope he rots in hell. So, true crime islanders, that's all I have to say about Peter DePass. I would like to say thank you to all my island buddies that support me and make this show worthwhile. You know, there are several ways to support and help develop the island. First of all, spread the word via Twitter or Facebook. Tell a friend. You can uh, rate and review on iTunes and Stitcher and several other podcasting platforms. A shout out to the iTunes reviewers that I can see, as I'm not sure if I can see them all. Jesper1973, Lil Biddy, Joy987, Jonesy52, Tony Q, Lorena74, Little Miss Goto, D161984, Derelict, Razamataz007, Claire Lett, Party Trishna, Two and a Half Sheep, Dry Egg Crab, and Kate Ez1989. On my, re- on my website, www.truecrimeisland.com, I now have a link to my merchandise shop where I have t shirts and hoodies for we- women, men, and kids. Plus, I just added coffee mugs with the logo and grab a beer and pull up a deck chair catchphrase. If you feel you want to donate to help the island, then I've just launched my Patreon site, which is www.patreon.com forward slash true crime island. And there's a link from my website as well. I'd love to thank my Patreon supporters Heather P, Kathy F, Ali V. Jason A, Jerry H, and Christy L, plus a generous PayPal donation from Tony Q. There are different support levels from a dollar a month and up. As time goes on, I'll be offering more Patreon awards, so check it out. If you love podcasts, join up to the Facebook page called Podcasts We Listen To, run by Jeremy Collins. Here you will find plenty of recommendations for podcasts and you will get the chance to interact with your favourite hosts as well. 
I can't name them all here as it's too big of a family. They are about to give away a swag bag or two of official podcast merch donated by the various podcast hosts and producers. So go and join up ASAP. Another great site is run by Ricky called True Crime Podcast, which is a great Facebook page centering on true crime. On Twitter, there's a great program running called Two Pods a Day. Look for hashtag two, the number two, pods a day. This is where two podcasts are featured each day that have been peer-reviewed by other podcast hosts. I'm sure you'll find plenty of great podcasts to subscribe to there. So, True Crime Islanders, don't forget to delete your browser history. This is Cambo signing off from True Crime Island, another true crime podcast.